hey, if you see uh, two groups of people, and I didn't know this until we were coming in tonight, uh, today is Miss Mindy's birthday. Uh, so if you see Miss Minnie, make sure you wish her happy, birth, uh, happy birthday. And then uh, today is Scott and Angie White's anniversary. Uh, so uh, good stuff. So make sure that you wish them happy anniversary if you see them uh, after church on social media. Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter uh, 12. Romans chapter 12. And uh, we'll jump back in. We're going to look at the next two gifts in our study. Uh, one of them is a little bit more detailed. Uh, than the first one, but uh, we've seen the gift of prophecy, and that's forth-telling the truth and forth-telling Scripture. Uh, we've seen the gift of ministry or service, uh, which is serving one another. We've seen the gift of exhortation, which is pushing people towards Christ, not in a negative way, but encouraging people, uh, pointing people in the right direction. Uh, we saw last week the gift of giving, which is not just giving financially, even though a lot of times we equate that. It is a part of it, uh, but it's the spirit of being willing to give of yourself. And we talked about uh, that could be time, talent, uh, ability, energy, uh, all those different things. And so each of these gifts are given to the local church. Uh, so we ask the question, and the goal of the end of this series is so that you will know uh, for 100% certainty what your spiritual gift is. So just uh, out of curiosity, all right, not going to ask you what your gift is, but how many of you are fairly confident that we've already discussed your spiritual gift? Anybody say that we've already discussed one of those first four? Okay, a few of you, all right, good. Uh, so we'll deal with two tonight. And we're going to begin with the gift of teaching. And your handout should be coming uh, at some point. Brother Jamie uh, is working on that. Bruce, can you help uh, Jamie real quick get those out uh, real quick? We have uh, two handouts. One is the blanks, and then one will give you just kind of the overview of the uh, nature of each one of the gifts and the cautions to guard against. Uh, that way you can keep track, maybe do a little bit more uh, in-depth study uh, on your own time. Uh, we had a great day today, started a brand new series. I'm excited about the series we began this morning uh, on the book of Mark and looking forward to that uh, for a little while. And I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, we shared this with our Sunday school class this morning. I haven't announced it publicly, but because you're in the pastor's group, you get insider information. It's kind of like inside trading. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, we'll give you some, that's right. Uh, I promise you I don't have any insight in that category. Um, but we are for Easter this year. Year, we are having two morning services this year uh, for the first time that I'm aware of that Crossroads has done that. Last year we had 460 in attendance and we feel like we're going to be well over 500 this year and this room will seat right at 400. So we know that we maxed out of space if we did one giant service. So we're going to split that and do two services. Uh, we're going to have our regular sun, sunrise service at 630 outside at the flagpole be outside and have chairs and if you want to bring your lawn chair that's fine uh, but we'll be out there at 6 30 and then we're going to have two morning service identical services uh, at one at 8 30 and one at 10 30 we'll have safe house and nursery for both of them um, we'll have the same music the same message for both services um, so as we get cards in over the next couple weeks if you want to be inviting someone uh, you can let them know and it'll say on the card obviously but uh, you can let them know that we'll have two options so if people want to come early if they want to come uh, to the 10 30 so 6 30 sunrise 8 30 first service 10 30 second service um, no evening service 
Uh, but that'll be our Easter schedule. And then we have Good Friday service as well with communion like we've done in several years past. Um, but that is our Easter Sunday morning schedule. So as you begin thinking about who can I invite uh, to Easter Sunday, uh, you'll get those cards. You'll have the times. You'll kind of know what's going on uh, with the multiple time uh, slots on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, let's dive in. The gift of teaching and the statement in the book uh, says this. Are you concerned with accuracy when the word of God is taught? Do you desire to see the truth passed on to the next generation and to those who are lacking in wisdom? Do you wish to see the lives of others changed as a result of information being given to them? And if so, you may have the motivational gift of teaching. Those with the motivational gift of teaching are challenged by God's word to exhibit certain behaviors. All right, They exhibit self-control. And that's uh, being able to focus on the issue of hand and avoid detour, detours. We don't uh, get bogged down in the weeds. We want to simply give the truth. Uh, th- those have a respect for the Word of God. They use the Word of God as their foundation, their building block, and build upon that. Uh, they're looking for truth. They're not denying its importance. Uh, they're diligent. They stick to their research. They make sure that they're very detailed in the information. And they're not satisfied until they have a thorough knowledge of what they're studying. And they're dependable. You can always count on them to be consistent. You can count on them to rightly divide the truth. Okay, so let's look in detail at the nature of the gift of teaching. Uh, We see several words, order, accuracy, and details. Uh, Each one of these gifts we kind of connected to an individual in the Bible. And the person that we connect to uh, the gift of teaching is the man, the Dr. Luke. All right. Uh, Look at how his gospel begins in Luke chapter number 1, verses 1 through 4. If you want to turn there, uh, hold your finger there in Romans chapter 12 and go to Luke chapter number 1, verse 1 through 4. The Bible says, Luke begins his gospel and says, For as much as many have taken in hand... To set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Hey, these are things that we're going to share with you that are well documented, well understood, and believed. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Now, uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail in just a moment. But uh, Luke spent several years, historians believe that it took Luke several years to gather research and information before he even started writing, spending a lot of time with eyewitnesses, people who spent time with Jesus to make sure that when he wrote his gospel that it was completely accurate, that he had everything in its place. Verse number three, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, uh, one of his uh, co-labors, that thou mightest know the certainty of these things, wherein thou hast been instructed. Luke is all about teaching what is right and making sure that it's right. Wanted to make sure that his information that he was sharing was well founded. So here's a few of the natures. First, they were to have order in their teaching. Uh, Teachers should not present material that is not easy to understand and follow. You think about Luke talks about having order in verse 3, about having order in all things. And teachers know what they want to say, those with the gift of teaching know what they want to say and how to get to that destination. It's not about, uh, hey, I just want to give a bunch of facts and just uh, give you all these details to impress who you are uh, or impress you with who I am. It's I want to 
clearly lay out a roadmap. This is where we begin. This is where we end. We're going to hit some places along the way, but there is a clear destination. And teachers, uh, gift, people with the gift of teaching, have an order in their teaching. Uh, second, those with the gift of teaching have to be concerned with the accuracy of words and the use of language. Uh, one of the things, the statements that we heard in Bible college classes was, if it's foggy in the pulpit, it'll be misty in the pews. If it's foggy in the pulpit, it'll be misty in the pews. Uh, meaning, if you don't have a clear understanding of a passage or an, an idea or a text or a theological, uh, theological uh, issue, then the people aren't going to understand it. You're not going to be able to rightly divide that truth to a congregation of people. We have to completely grasp the concept ourselves before we share it with others. And we see this even in our culture today. Uh, door-to-door salesmen. Remember back in the 50s and 60s, door-to-door salesmen was a big thing. And man, when they were trying to sell a product, they believed it. Man, this was the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, this is the exact thing that you need. It's changed my life. And man, it will help you. All right, and, and consequently, uh, independent Baptist churches jumped on that bandwagon back in the 50s and 60s and started going door-to-door soul winning because it was successful for salesmen. Hey, it must be successful for us. And so that was free. Uh, but uh, the goal that would be that a teacher would eliminate all questions, uh, that they would eliminate any question before it was answered uh, or before it was asked. And we do that even today. In our meetings, we sit down and we say, all right, uh, what question, we have a, a meeting tomorrow with our entire leadership team uh, tomorrow morning, and we're talking about upcoming events. As we announce these events, what are some questions that people will ask us? Uh, so before we even announce, let's go ahead and in our announcements, let's craft it in such a way that it answers questions before they're asked. Uh, so we'll, uh, case in point, um, Easter, all right, two services, all right, well, you know, pastor, which which service are you going to have child care? Well, safe house, we're already uh, we're going to have safe house, and we're going to have nurseries for both. Oh, okay, well, that checks the box. We've already discussed it. We've already taken care of that. Uh, people with the gift of teaching teach that way. Uh, I want to lay out information in such a way that when it comes across to the learner or to the hearer, that it answers the questions that may be asked in advance. And it lays out that information. The worst thing that could be said in a church setting is that someone comes in on a Sunday or a midweek service, they hear the service, hear the sermon, they walk out scratching their head wondering what they heard, what it really means, and that it, it doesn't make sense, and they don't know how to apply it to their lives. That's the worst thing that could happen. Uh, for a preacher to uh, expound truth and get up and preach the Word of God and then have somebody come outside who is lost and noticeably lost and people are praying that they'll receive Christ, and they say, man, that made me feel so good. That is not the response that I'm looking for. You know, if, if someone is lost and comes in, I don't want them to be happy about what they heard. I want the Word of God to grip their heart. I want it to be clear that they have a need and they understand what their need is. Uh, that's my hope and my prayer. So a teacher has to, has to answer those questions in advance. They have to be concerned with the accuracy of words and the use of language. Third thing, those with the gift of teaching delight in researching and reporting as many details as possible. I, I, I got this from Scott Toole. I love this concept, and I've never heard it put this way. Uh, he said, when I'm studying, I want to look first 
uh, like I'm in an airplane at 30,000 feet. I'm looking at the text. I'm looking from a high view. And then the next layer of study is I want to be right over the roof of the house. I want to be looking at, all right, how is this laid out? And how, uh, wh- how many rooms are in this house? And how many restrooms are in this house? And uh, how many acres is the property that the house is sitting on? I have a closer view. And then I want to have that uh, inside the house view. And I want to see, all right, uh, how is the bedroom laid out? How many chairs and lamps are there? And how many electrical outlets are in this house? And how, how, what's, the, what's the voltage of the house, Scott? You know, uh, all these different things. Uh, what's the room layout? And then the next layer of the study is I want to get inside the drawers inside the bedrooms. And I want to pull out the drawer and look in every nook and cranny of that drawer and say, all right, what am I missing? Uh, the most minute detail is important and may uh, constitute truth or relay truth to someone's heart that they need that. But it starts with a 30,000-foot view. It's every detail. I want to see everything that the Bible has to show me. And I don't want to leave anything out. Uh, if you've seen the picture of the iceberg. Uh, have you ever seen a picture of an iceberg and you see uh, the, the top is what stands out, but scientists tell us that what you see is only 10% of the entire size of that iceberg. 90% is still underneath the surface. You, don't, you and I don't see it on the top of the surface. We, we see it underneath the surface. And I've seen that picture and I've seen uh, the sermon in that top 10% and the preparation is the 90% underneath. Uh, it's just a great analogy, the fact that uh, there's a lot of stuff that we want to say. It's kind of like that guy who has a, a Pinto uh, car, and they're trying to put a 16-foot piece of lumber inside that Pinto. You know, I'm try- I've got just this amount of time, and I'm trying to get all this information in this amount of time uh, to the people. Uh, so uh, they research and report as many details as possible. If you've ever known somebody who just loves to study, Man, they love, my, my life versus uh, much study is a weariness of the flesh. You know? so, uh, but, uh, but when you think about those people who love to study, man, they want to know every detail about everything. Uh, they're fascinated with facts and digging up any detail. Uh, Luke gives more detail in his gospel than any other gospel writer. Uh, think about the birth of Jesus. You get the story of Mary and Joseph, obviously. But then you get the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth which isn't given us in any other gospel. Uh, You get the story of Anna and Simeon on day eight after the birth of Jesus, which we don't have in any other gospel. Uh, You have the story of Luke when he was 12 years old and uh, goes missing and Mary and Joseph leave him in the temple. You don't get that in any other gospel. Uh, So Luke is fascinated with detail and he wants us to have detail. Uh, The only other book of the Bible that Luke wrote is the book that shows us the foundation of the church, the book of Acts. So Luke is enamored with giving us detail, not just about the life of Christ, but beyond. Uh, The the foundation of the church, uh, the beginning of Paul's ministry that catapulted the church uh, publicly, and how they went out and started with a small group of people, and then it just exploded Thousands of people just in the first 40 days receiving Christ and going out sharing his word with other people. So Luke, he's detailed. Why? Because he has the gift of teaching. And he's fascinated with it. So the first three things, the nature of teaching. Second three things are interest, knowledge, and facts. Interest, knowledge, and facts. Number one, those with the gift of teaching are interested in knowing as much as possible 
about a subject. We've already mentioned this. Luke took several years before he even penned the Gospel of Luke because he wanted to uh, witness, uh, wanted to interview people, wanted to make sure that he had spoken to eyewitnesses, and he spoke of those people to collect all those data. And teachers want their data to be solid, verified, so that no one can refute what they're sharing. All right. Second thing, those with the gift of teaching desire knowledge and understanding. Now, we talked about this in the last several weeks. Uh, the gift of prophecy, if you have the gift of prophecy, you want to do right and you know what, want to know what's at stake. If you have the gift of exhortation, you know that your uh, primary purpose is to lay out a step-by-step process uh, to get to a goal. Teachers, uh, they know what you believe. Say, hey, I want to know exactly what I believe. So many problems come in church when we don't know what we believe. We're not sure. And sometimes our doctrine that we share with people, you know, the Bible says, uh, you know, we throw that out. And it's a hodgepodge of the way we grew up, books, magazines, leaders in life, uh, the Bible, you know, not, don't forget the Bible. Uh, we have this hodgepodge of information, and then we say, well, the Bible says. You know, the Bible says you're supposed to be healthy, and you're supposed to do all this. Well, you know, let's, let's make sure we have some context there. But uh, we throw that all out there, but a world that's dying doesn't need candy. They need medicine. A world that's dying doesn't need candy. They need medicine. And the medicine is the Word of God. They need to know, thus saith the Lord, not thus saith you and I. They need what the Bible says. And those around us who are lost don't need a life lesson. They need Jesus. They need to know the truth. But could it be the reason we're so adamant about sharing Him, or we're not so adamant about sharing Him, is that we struggle believing in Him. That we struggle at times believing that His Word is true. Remember, Peter said about Paul's writing in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. He's referring back to Paul and said, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. Not rest, take a nap, trust in it. Rest, W-R-E-S-T. Wrestle, struggle with. People who are not learn who who are not deeply rooted in their faith they struggle with some of the things that Paul's teaching and he's saying there's something that he's talking about I don't understand that I don't get and so when we think about a teacher has to comprehend that and when they share truth they have to know that what they're saying can be verified third thing those with the gift of teaching are primarily concerned with facts not illustrations or applications. And, and these points kind of go hand in hand. Uh, remember the old uh, TV show Dragnet uh, with Jack Webb, uh, Sergeant Joe Friday? Just the facts, man. Just the facts. You know, uh, Asking a witness, we don't need your story. We need the facts. Tell us what happened. Tell us the details. Uh, teachers can become irritated at times with long conversations because they're focused on facts. They want to know what are the details, get down to the nitty-gritty, especially if it's a conversation with someone who does not know what they're talking about. Doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, have you ever had one of those conversations where it's clear, a fir- the first couple sentences in, it's like, you know, I don't think they understand what they're saying. Uh, I don't think that they know what they're talking about. I mean, I, you're, in your field, you understand some people know everything. And they can't be taught anything. And so when you talk to them, and they, it's quickly to, to discovered that they don't know what they're talking about, 
uh, you kind of just, well, where, where can I lead this conversation, you know? Uh, but think about teachers will hear something, and then at times they'll set out to disprove it. Because I know that's not true, but I want to make sure that I research, and I want to make sure that I don't distort the truth. So I'm going to do my part and make sure that I'm prepared for the next conversation, which kind of goes into we're never too old to learn. If we have the gift of teaching, we can always learn something new. And just because it's old doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it right. Just because it's new doesn't make it, make it right. Just because it's old doesn't make it wrong. Just because it's new doesn't make it wrong. So we need to make sure that we seek out the truth. Here's some cautions to guard against for those who have the gift of teaching. Here's, if you have, it's good to have this gift, but you want to make sure that you share the truth of Jesus. We talked about that last week with exhortation. Let's get to the goal, and the goal is to share Christ. That's the ultimate goal. First, you have to communicate in a clear and concise manner. It's possible for teachers to present facts and leave it there. I'll give you a perfect example. All right, I could pass Andrew on the street, and I have the gift of teaching, and man, that guy looks lost. And I just I want to share Jesus with him, so I'm going to tell him the truth. And I'll walk right up to him and I say, hey, sir, I just want to share truth with you. And he says, what's that? Did you know that you're going to hell? Now, it may or may not be true, but I can't leave him hanging right there. Imagine telling someone that and then just walking away and, what's wrong with that guy? You know, uh, you've got to share truth, but teachers have to understand you cannot tell someone the truth without giving them a solution. It's not just about portraying the truth and expounding. You've got to be able to share, hey, this is the truth, but let me tell you how to build on that. Hey, you might be lost and on your way to hell, but let me tell you the answer. Uh, let me tell you what Jesus did. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me in my life. Uh, so teachers have to be good researchers and good communicators. They have to know the truth, share the truth, but we all know people who are really good at sharing the problem without a solution. Uh, sharing a problem without, here's how to fix it. Uh, we had a guy in our previous church, great guy, great family, who was wonderful at telling us what was wrong. And then you say, how are we going to fix it? I have no idea. And you turn around and walk off. It's like, dude, that's infuriating. Don't, don't tell me a problem. Give me an, an, something that you've thought about and how we can fix the problem. But teachers have to be careful that when they communicate, they communicate in a clear and concise way and not leave somebody hanging. Second, teachers must be open to new means of presenting information. All right? Uh, most of us do not enjoy hearing a lecture that's just all open your books to the, and just hearing monotone. We don't. We went to college for that. Okay, it's it's, all, it's like we passed that. We're done. We we want to hear some excitement. Uh, and there are all kinds of methods. There's object lessons. There's illustrations. There's personal stories. Jesus used parables. Uh, Jesus used. Old Testament stories to remind people. There's all kinds of methods we can use to communicate and present information. And uh, the more vivid, the better the illustration, you know, uh, and that's okay. But teachers have to be open to new means of presenting information. It's easy for teachers just to get in that rut of, I got something I want to share. I'm going to give them the information and that's all I need to do. I've checked the box. I'm done. But people don't learn that way. You need to make it relatable. 
It's good to know about David and Goliath, but how does it apply to me? How does that story, how do the Old Testament texts apply to today? How does the story of Samuel and Saul and David in the tale of three rulers, how do those men and individuals, what are their life, how does that speak to me 2,000 years plus later, thousands of years later, uh, more than 2,000 years later? Uh, so uh, they have to be open to new means of presenting information. Third, teachers must not get hung up on small errors in detail, but look to the big picture. It's easy as a teacher to dismiss an entire presentation from someone based on one minute error. We have to look at the big picture. And a perfect example of this. Imagine a young man who is asked to share his very first sermon with a congregation. He has never done it before. He is nervous as all get out. He gets up and the pastor says, you have X amount of time. Wow us. You know, and this guy gets up and he's shaking, he's fumbling, and he misreads verses, and he uh, doesn't quote the right things. He forgets what he wants to say, and he sits down, and he has no idea what he just did, but he feels like a failure. And rightly so. You know, we're sitting at the congregation thinking, man, I don't, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even know how to process that. But it's easy for someone with the gift of teaching to say, that was horrible. But we have to look at big picture. That, that is not, a preacher should never be uh, summarized by one sermon. And that, that's my prayer every single Sunday. It uh, should not be summarized by one sermon, uh, especially not the first one. Especially not the first one. Because God can take foolishness and turn it into something beautiful. Uh, so it's us, up to us to say, you know what, let's look at the big picture. First time, hey, that person most likely studied harder for that than they've ever studied for anything else before. And let's be an encouragement. Let's be an exhorter. Hey, keep up the good work, man. God, God used you to show me this truth. And overlook the little error or the misquoted verse or the illustration that was way off base. Uh, overlook those things and say, you know what? There was something there that God can show me. Uh, that's where an exhorter says, hey, you can do it. You can do it. Keep up the good work. Uh, fourth, Teachers have to be open to the intuitive spiritual leading of the Holy Spirit to discern truth. Truth is more than facts. Uh, there is nothing wrong with preparation, but a teacher, excuse me, a teacher must also be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit while he's teaching. There are times when you're relaying information that God says, no, no, we're, we're not talking about that. We're not gonna we're not gonna share that today. There are times when you start talking and God gives you something that you didn't even study. In the flow, right in the moment, it's like, where did that come from? But it's there, and we have to be sensitive. It's easy. I I preach with a manuscript every single week, and it's easy to sit here and say, this is what I want to share, but this is not what I want to share. This is what I want to share. And someone with the gift of teaching has to say, this is what changes lives, not this. And so if God speaks and says, share this in the moment, I can't just buckle down and say, but God, it's not in this. It has to be from a heart that says, God, if you bring it to my attention, help it to come out my mouth. Don't let me shut it down. Let me bring it out. Uh, I'll, I'll say this, and this is not me, this is God. Okay, and, and please don't take it that way. 
the, the illustration a couple weeks ago, anchor points. That was all God. <laughs> that was not heat spiking. I had in my notes just this very simple, basic, and, and I talked to uh, Pastor John about it. He said, when I saw you explaining it, I knew that you're doing all this on the fly. <laughs> and uh, it's, it has nothing to do with me, but it's, it's God saying, say this and this and this. And that's not a mystical, supernatural thing, okay? Uh, that's, God, if you'll, if you'll give me something, something, let me share it and not hold back. And, and that's, that might be hard to understand. But uh, sometimes God speaks to you in the moment and says, say this, and I don't understand it. And sometimes when it's coming out, it makes no sense to me. But I want to be sensitive. I want to be sensitive to that leading. Fifth, teachers must never substitute academic degrees for genuine wisdom from God. Some of the greatest Bible teachers that the world has ever heard of had zero formal education. Now let me say this. Two, two schools of thought here. Uh, number one school of thought is that if you, haven't, if you don't have an education, somehow you're not worthy. And that's, that's not a correct school of thought. But there's also a school of thought that you can have all of the book knowledge in the world and be dumb as a box of rocks. So it's finding that balance between the two. But teachers, they cannot say, well, as long as I get a degree, I'm qualified. They have to have wisdom from God. If you've ever heard the name D.L. Moody, all right, D.L. Moody had no formal seminary training, zero. But it's well documented that throughout the course of D.L. Moody's ministry that over a million people came to Christ through his ministry on two continents, D.L. Moody, with zero seminary training, zero formal Bible college training, none. We've heard the name Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a very good baseball player, professional baseball player, played for the Chicago White Stockings before they were the Chicago White Sox. And very good. At when In his prime, Billy Sunday was named, and it's documented, the fastest man in baseball. The fastest man in baseball. Billy Sunday walked away from an incredible career because God gripped his heart and he wanted to preach the gospel. And so, uh, Billy Sunday, no formal education. Uh, William McDonald, if you've ever seen uh, what's called the Believer's Bible Commentary, which I use every single week in my study. William McDonald had a business degree, zero formal Bible college training. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, great preacher, no formal Bible college training. Martin Lloyd-Jones, incredible preacher. All of these men were greatly used of God with no formal training. How in the world can God use somebody like that? Why? Because they were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Ghost and God filled them with his word, and they loved God's word, and God used them. And while, while these man, men stand out, there are a whole bunch of men who have all the degrees that we would say, wow, they must be incredible, and they have no idea what the scripture says. Um, one of my wife's roommates in college uh, went to a secular university and studied in religion. It was the worst thing in the world. Because all of a sudden, she had all of this knowledge, but all of it apart from the Word of God. Good girl. Great, great girl and married kids and all this stuff and messed up as far as belief system because 
you have all these people who say, I know religion, but they don't know God. And God doesn't know them. So it takes, there's not a substitute for genuine wisdom from God. So the gift of teaching. The second gift tonight, and we'll go through this a lot, a lot of information, is the gift of organization or ruling or leadership. In Romans chapter 12, it says, He that ruleth, in chapter 12 and verse number 8, He that ruleth with diligence. We should rule with diligence. Here's the questions from Dr. Stanley's book. Are you uncomfortable in a leaderless group? Do you feel restless or frustrated if things are disorderly? If so, you may have the motivational gift of organization. This gift is sometimes called the gift of leading, ruling, or the gift of administration. The Greek word used in the New Testament for ruling literally means the one who stands out front. The one who stands out front. So here's some of the nature of this gift of organization. The example in the New Testament is the Apostle James. James. Uh, He was known as James the Just, James the Righteous. Uh, In the book of Acts, he was known as the one who oversaw the church of Jerusalem and taught them that there was a right way to follow the the Lord by denying the world. Uh, In Acts chapter 15, verse 19, uh, Acts 15, verse 19, Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollution of idols and from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. He's also the one who said in James 1, verse 22, I think I just misspoke. Um, James, not the apostle, James, the uh, half-brother of Jesus. Uh, I'm sorry, my, my mistake. Uh, but James chapter 1, verse 22, he said, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James had a desire for order in the church. And there are 12 characteristics uh, that are used for someone with this gift. And so let's kind of go through these, and they're in your notes there uh, in rapid fire. First, they have an ability to see the big picture. The big picture. Uh, these are people who have big goals and dreams and lots of desire. They believe that God can do more and are willing uh, to see how he will involve others, even if that takes time. Uh, they want God to use others. James said in James 1.4, but let patience have her perfect work. That takes time to develop. So willing to put in the time, as long as God is behind it, God's doing work, willing to put the time. Second, they have an ability to break down large projects into bite-sized pieces. If you've ever heard the statement, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Large projects into bite-sized pieces. They see the goal. But they also see the steps to make it a reality. These people are great administrators because they're able to dissect a project well and delegate to get things done. All right, Which kind of goes into the next piece. Third, they're self-starters. They're the ones who ensure not only that everyone has an assignment, but someone who follows up with those people who have been assigned a piece of the assignment. Hey, I want to make sure that you know what you're doing and that you know what your role is and that you know how to get that accomplished. Fourth, they're keenly aware of all the resources necessary for accomplishing a goal. You you might not know what's necessary to get a job done, but someone with the gift of organization does. They know what it takes. They know what your part is. They want to assist you. They want to follow up with you to make sure that it gets done. Uh, Imagine the glass of milk. We've used that every single week. You know, uh, the person with the gift of organization, ruling, leadership, uh, they're divvying out. Remember the person with 
the gift of prophecy. And that never should have happened. If you would have done this, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, the person who's the teacher uh, says, let me teach you how to pour the glass so that that doesn't happen again. Uh, the person with the gift of organization, when the milk gets spilled, they're, all right, you get the broom, you get the mop, uh, you go over there and get a glass of milk. You go to the store and get the milk. Uh, make sure it's the right kind of milk. They're divvying out, delegating to make sure that everybody knows what their role is. All right, You sit there and wait until someone brings you a milk and they're not going to spill it for you. You know All these different things. Uh, they're a list person. A list person. You know anybody like that? Uh, very possible if you're a list person, you have this gift. Because you have a goal. You know how to get there. And you can kind of chart out the steps that it takes. Number five. They're confident that God-given goals can be accomplished. And here's kind of the flip side of that. They don't like negative Nellies. You know what a negative Nelly is or a sour Sam? Uh, somebody who's all a Debbie Downer. Somebody who's always negative. Somebody who's not positive. They don't have patience for those people. They don't have patience for those people who object or are pessimistic. Uh, in reaching the goal, they have a can-do attitude. Hey, we can do this. Uh, let's band together. You do this. You do this. I'm going to do this. Let's work together. One, two, three, break. That's their job, and that's their role. Number six, they know how to delegate. They know that they can't do all of the work alone. I personally believe that we've shot ourselves in the foot in the church because we believe that we should do all the work alone. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, about uh, church planning and how it used to be. You know, back 30, 40 years ago, church planning was a guy'd get a burden for an area, they'd rent a space, and he'd put a homemade uh, sign outside that was hand painted, and he'd say, Church, and times, and then he'd sit back and he'd wait for the people to show up. Just him and his family. If nobody showed up, he'd get up and he'd preach to his family, and then they'd all go home. That was church planning then. Church planning today is four or five families getting together. They get a burden and say, hey, let's, let's plan a church. Let's see if God will do a work through us. And it's a community involvement rather than just one family. Then you have community to be able to encourage one another. And it's not as deflating when someone doesn't come, at least there's still a small group that you're investing and you're pouring in. It's a little different process, but we should not feel like we have to do all the work on our own. You know, I understand the pastor should not, uh, let me quantify the statement. The pastor should not be the music leader, the preacher, the greeter, the maintenance man, the janitor, the secretary. Doesn't mean that he can't be, but he shouldn't be. One of the goals of a leader is to find people who are passionate to undertake the task ahead of them and to make sure that other people get together and they all get on board with him. Uh, President Bush, uh, George W., uh, said this uh, in his book, uh, Decision Points, which is a great book, um, 700 pages, but it's a great book. Um, a good leader surrounds themselves with people who are better at their jobs than the leader would be doing those jobs. A good leader surrounds himself with people who are better at their jobs than the leader would be doing those jobs. Case in point, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice. Both incredibly gifted, incredibly good at what they did. But George Bush said both of those people are smarter than I am. And they're better at their roles than I would be doing that role. 
So making sure there's no shame for a leader to say, I'm not good at that. That's not my gift. Um, it's knowing where you're gifted. I don't have the gift of mercy like some people do. <laughs> um, I could not work in a nursery. I, I'm not the person. Uh, I could uh, teach a kid's class once in a pinch if Miss Deanna's not available. If she's available, she gets to do it You know, because she's much better. She has that gift, and I don't. But I know people who are passionate in that role. And I would much rather someone who's passionate with the gift and the desire to teach our children than somebody who's not gifted and has the desire to teach children. Does that make sense? Um, case in point, some of the best kid workers that we have at Crossroads today, that worked today, when they came to Crossroads, said, I'll do anything, just don't ask me to work with kids. One of them is leading our kids' ministry. And you know what? It's amazing to see the work that God can do in someone's life when they surrender and say, God, I'll do anything. Just, just tell me. And God dumps love on that person, and they're great at it. Uh, just, it's awesome to see. Uh, people with the gift of ruling and administration, they know how to delegate. Number seven, they will often have little tolerance for details. They're focused on getting the job done, but not necessarily concerned with how it gets done. All right. And remember, uh, someone with the gift of teaching says, I want to research, I know the destination, and I'm going to hit all these points along the way. Someone with the gift of organization ruling says, you know what, here's the destination. doesn't really matter how you get there, just get there. As long as we get to the end goal, that's fine. That's where there is a problem with seeing the caution. Uh, they can see the goal, and they've figured out a way to get there, but they have little tolerance for details. Number eight, they're able to receive criticism without crumbling. This is a big thing in the church, okay? So we just have a, a personal moment here. If someone is critical of a ministry or a part that you're playing, wear it on your sleeve and don't get offended. Great peace have they, David said, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Uh, John R. Rice said, you can't hurt a dead man. And you think about our life, we're supposed to be crucified with Christ. And so if we are dead in Christ, then if someone has a personal critique for us, we should take it in the measure in which it's given. And if you're the one giving it, you should do it with grace, speaking the truth in love. But at the same time, we need to understand that we're not always going to be right. And sometimes someone needs to come alongside us in love and say, hey, can I help you? Can I help you in this area? Charles Stanley said, the one who stands out front, remember, ruler, one who stands out front, those who are out front are on the firing line. They're the ones most likely to be criticized, questioned, blamed, and misunderstood. And then he said this, they thus have to have skin as thick as a rhinoceros. Skin as thick as... As a rhinoceros. Being in this role is not for everyone. You have to be able to process criticism in leadership. I'll never forget someone coming to my office years ago. And uh, I had been a pastor about a year and a half, maybe two years uh, at this point. Um, and a lady came in, and uh, just to keep it as, as anonymous as possible, uh, she was very 
very upset. Um, I had let her down, and I had not uh, met her expectation of what a pastor should be. And she very clearly and very directly told me that. And she ended the conversation and she said, I just wanted you to know that I have lost all confidence of you being my pastor. And uh, it was hard to hear, number one, because the biggest reason, I didn't think I was wrong. But this lady sure thought I was. Um, she left the church over, over a decision that I made. And uh, I'm trying to think how I can explain it. She, she had a card something that she had expected me to be there for, and she had a card, and she gave me the card. I kept that card with this lady's name on it on my desk for five years, right in front of my computer, five years. Why? Because I wanted to be reminded, no matter what, somebody's always watching, and someone can always at any moment come in and say, you were wrong. And I wanted that to just be a subtle reminder for me to remember the situation and just to make some subtle change, not I, to me, I didn't, I don't feel like I made any drastic changes in kind of this particular situation. But people with the gift of ruling and administration, uh, they can learn from every situation, even the ones where they don't think they're in the wrong. The best thing that you and I can do when someone comes and criticizes or constructive criticism is the nice way, uh, still comes across the same. Uh, but the best thing that you and I can do is not respond. Say, hey, I thank you for that. Um, let me pray about what you just said, and uh, let me process, internalize, and ask the Lord to help me see something the way that you're seeing it um, so that I can see your perspective. There's nothing wrong. The worst thing that you can do is say, I don't agree with you. I don't think I did anything wrong. Well, that's your opinion even someone who is off base, we need to look and say, is there any truth to that? Is there anything? The, the Lord might be trying to teach me something, and this person is in the flesh or you know, just off base completely, but can I learn anything from this? Can the Lord use this? So big question, can you handle being criticized? Can you take it? Because at some point, uh, we're all going to work with or for someone, and we're not going to be the boss. So it's going to happen. You're going to have to process it. You're going to have to internalize it. Um, I know in, in the last nine years, uh, there's been things that we've decided and things that we've done here at Crossroads. I know not everybody agrees with. I know that. Uh, some people have told me, and that's fine. I, I'm good with that. Um, but I just think about two years of COVID. Uh, services where you know everybody's spaced out and there's green tape and there's arrows in the hallway and there's all these things and uh, trying to communicate all the changes and then there's one section that looks like four million people are sitting over there and uh, you know everybody else over here is spaced out and uh, if you weren't here for that service it was it was memorable uh, but all of the different things that we tried and did during COVID you're not going to win some people don't think you've done enough some people think you're too heavy-handed uh, you're not going to win and then you bring in masks into all that. And you know not everybody's going to agree. And that's okay. But you have to be able to handle criticism. You have to be able to handle it. And some things are spot on. Some are shots in the dark. 
but when you make decisions, all of them have to be prayed over. You make sure and know that some of them are going to be criticized. I, I, I understand when we uh, had our Christmas service, several people, and no one responded poorly. But when we did our Christmas service on the weekend and did Saturday instead of Sunday, some people came to us and all had a, gr- a great attitude about it. But I understand that just because some vocalize, it means that some are internalizing. I don't know if I like that. You know? and, and that's okay. But we sit back and we say, We've got to be able to handle those conversations. We can't run from controversy. You can't. It's part of life. You and I are going to be confronted. And I know most of us don't like confrontation. But you've got to be able at some point to handle some of it. You have to. Have to. It's a part of life. Uh, number nine. They know their coworkers are loyal and committed to the task at hand. They expect loyalty from others. I asked a preacher, um, I won't mention his name, but asked a preacher years ago what he looks for in hiring a team. And he gave me three things. He said, I'm looking for people who, uh, I'm looking for staff that love people, who are hard workers, who will labor well, and who are loyal. Those three things, who love people, who labor well, and who are loyal. And then he said, Heath, I was driving to the airport, and he said, Heath, I can teach the first two. I can teach somebody how to love people, and I can teach somebody how to be a hard worker. He said, but I can't teach somebody how to be loyal. He said, they're either loyal or they're not. There's no middle ground. So he said, the first two, I can work with. He said, but I cannot teach somebody loyalty. And it's the same thing. If you have a gift of ruling and administration, people who are not loyal are infuriating because they haven't locked in. And there's no tolerance for those who choose not to be loyal. Number 10, they have a tendency to move into a leadership role if no leader emerges or if a situation becomes disorderly. Meaning, have you ever met somebody who will do the job themselves if they don't have someone step up quick enough? Hey, I need somebody to volunteer to do this. Crickets. I'll just do it myself. You know, uh, someone with the gift of ruling or administration, they'll do it themselves. You know, uh, inaction is not in their DNA. They'll do it themselves. And, and that sometimes can be misrepresented as egotistical or someone who says, well, they just don't want somebody doing it a way that's not their way. That's just, that's not, but that's how they function. Uh, Eleven, they want to see a goal reached as quickly as possible, as well as possible, and with as few resources as possible. They don't waste time, money, talent, or energy. How can we get the goal? Get to the goal. Number 12, they delight in seeing projects accomplished. They're not concerned with getting accolades, with making money, with working with others, uh, but they take deep pride in knowing that it's done and done well. Okay? Uh, those are the 12 uh, character traits. Here's the last three things, three cautions to guard against. A lot to guard against, but here's the, the top three. Number one, they have to take the time to rest and reflect. I'll use a word that fits in this group of category. Um, people with the gift of ruling, administration, leadership are defined at times by being workaholics. They finish a project. Yay, we did a great job. What's the next project? They go immediately. They're not, they're not content sitting down. And resting. 
And for people with this gift, they have to make sure, guard against, I've got to have time to reset. I've got to have time to rest and reflect. We all need that, by the way. We all need times. Uh, the Sabbath is a biblical principle. We all need that time to rest. Second, those with the gift of organization have to be cautious to not drive others beyond the limits of their own abilities. All right, Because they delegate so much, it's possible for someone to drive people without regard for the fact of what they can actually do. Um, you know, they have to be sensitive to, the, to other people that they may not be as motivated or energetic as they are. Uh, they, they might not be as passionate about this as other people. Or, hey, we're, we're going to work together with kids ministry and this is going to be awesome. Uh, you're going to do this. You're going to lead the singing and you're going to speak and you're going to check people in and you're going to greet people at the door and I'm going to talk to parents and it's going to be awesome. And the person who's supposed to speak says, I don't want to do that. I, I'm not really good. That's not a gift. I, I, don't, I don't like that. Well, the person who says, who is delegating, says, well, fine, I'll just do it myself. And, but then there's the dilemma of, well, I, I've got to greet parents, and then I've got to go speak, and then I get to get back to my... And they burn themselves out. It's possible that you can task someone, because we're delegators. Someone with a gift of organization, they delegate, but it's possible to delegate to someone who doesn't have the motivation or energy that they would have in that role. If I have this gift and I delegate a project to someone with the gift of mercy, just say that we're going to someone's house to rake leaves. Okay, uh, Yard full of leaves. Hey, you're going to rake and I'm going to rake and we're going to knock this out. We're going to be done in an hour. Thank you, uh, by the way, for those who came uh, yesterday morning to help Miss Nicole move. Uh, it was great. We loaded her truck up in 35 minutes and we unloaded the truck in 35 minutes. It was awesome. Dream team. Crossroads Moving Company. Uh, so, but when we talk about, we show up, we get to this person's house, we're ready to rake leaves, and man, I'm over busy, I'm, I'm getting this done, I'm putting it in a pile, and then I see someone that I've delegated to help me, and they have the spiritual gift of mercy. They're over here talking with this senior lady and praying with her, and you know, uh, man, I, that's so bad. I, I'm so sorry for you. And um, you know, what's your week like? And man, all this time I'm over here raking. And I see this conversation going on, and it's burning me. I'm like, man, we're, we're cutting into our time. You know, we've got, we got 20 minutes to get this done. We're only a third of the way through. Come on. You have the Mary Martha syndrome. All right? Uh, it's easy, if you have the gift of organization, to want other people to be in the same thread as you are. And we want people to be just like us. And we have to caution to not drive people beyond their own limits of abilities. And we've got to keep that there. Um, and we, we sit back and say, man, they're not getting anything done. But yet they're exercising their gift in the way God made them. Uh, lastly, those with the gift of organization need to avoid relying on their own abilities rather than trusting God to guide priorities. The Christian journey is all about pace. Pace. It's not about how fast I can get there. It's about staying with Jesus while he's leading. And how many of us know that if we rush ahead of the Lord, bad things happen? If I get out there on my own, man, all right, Jesus, come on, we got to get there quick. It doesn't end well. Remember Colossians 3? 
And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I'm not trying to check the box. I'm not trying to get this done so that I can get on to the next project. I'm trying to serve the Lord with this gift. And if he wants me to go slow, we go slow. If he wants me to hurry up, we'll hurry up. But I need to stay with him. When we think about how the Lord wired us, we have to make sure that we're not doing things in our strength. Rather, we're doing things in his power. Um, having, uh, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's easy for us to look the part and for us to be doing things in our flesh and not relying on his strength and his ability. And when we rely on us, the only glory that's handed out goes to us. doesn't go to him. If it's not done in faith, it's sin. And the things that are done in the flesh, if, if we're in the flesh, we cannot, not, might not, we cannot please God. And those times that we're in our own ability, our own strength, it's not bringing honor and glory to Him. It's bringing glory to us. And that just doesn't last. It's not exercising our gift properly. So the gift of, uh, the gift of administration, organization, the gift of teaching, those two tonight. Six down, a couple more to go. We have motivational gifts. Next week we'll be talking about the gift of mercy. I'm sorry, not next week, two weeks. The gift of mercy. Mercy. Oh my goodness. I, I can point at people in the room that this is your spiritual gift. Uh, but the gift of mercy. Um, just a great reminder for all of us that God made us all unique. And he made us in such a way that it brings glory to him when we work together using our gifts. Uh, kind of like a symphony. You know, you've got trumpets and tubas and you've got harps and you've got timpanies and you've got violins and cellos and you've got all these things working together in perfect harmony. All playing the same piece. The same piece of music. But we're all playing our unique instrument. And no instrument is created equal most of us cannot sit down and say, well, grab, let me have your, uh, your instrument. I'll play it better than you. Most of us don't have that ability. But we may be proficient in what we have, the gift that God has given to us. So let's learn how to exercise our own unique gift with perfection. Father, please bless our week this week. Please keep us safe and healthy. Uh, Lord, I ask that you please help us to uh, rightly divide your truth. And help us to exercise the gifts that you have given to us well. Please uh, give us strength this week. Uh, bless the couples retreat the end of this week. And uh, those who will be traveling, keep them safe. And Lord, I ask that you please be with our speakers. And the Lord, just please speak to their hearts so that they may uh, invest in us. We love you and thank you for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.